out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Manchester-based band. It is the one and only Dubsex, because I recently caught up with their main man. It is the one and only Mark Hoyle to talk about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview. You're going to find out much more in the next 60 minutes. So um, after several minutes of casual chat with Mark, where we were talking about this and that, which gets edited out, and I was talking about my early musical influences of the early 70s, Mark then replied about what his kind of musical moment was. This is it. Mark, take it away. Well, I mean... it goes way way beyond my life changing moment. I was just just writing about all this. Actually, it was in the book of it all uh, in my life. Uh, basically, the, the, I suppose you could the the real ground zero moment would be like seeing uh, the damned uh, in, in in May 1977. You know, I was too young to be in, to be there. Uh, I had no experience really of proper live music before. You know, and uh, punk was just breaking. Now, now I had had a really crazy childhood, really. You know, really kind of kind of uh, all over the place. My mum had died when I was nine, and I was in care for ages. Uh, so I'd just come out of care under this. I mean, you got to remember, you picture the, the late seventies. There weren't, and before the nineteen eighty nine, you know, I mean, there was all these kind of strange arrangements for people that that had lost their parents. You know, you can go stay with a relative in Ireland, or all these things happening, but. Things transpired that I was living on my own, uh, you know, really young for, 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 for the first part, part of punking. And anyway, just before that, I'd I, I, I had the, 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 the joy to witness the adverts uh, supporting the damned at Middleton Civic Hall. Right. It just blew, just blew my head off, you know what I mean? I, you know, everything conspired to, in, in like a perfect storm of, you know, the freedom that I've never had in, in the, you know, the preceding years and, 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 you know, because I, I, I kind of lost myself in music, you know, even even like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, like, like you're saying yourself, you know, the glam rock, uh, glam, glam rock era was, you know, really important to me, which is great. You know, I, I love Bowie, and obviously, but, but but Mark the Hoople too, which is great because later on, uh, Dub Sex was produced four times and made a veil, you know, by the drummer, <laughs> Dale Griffin. Dale Griffin, close, yes. You know? And if, if, if like the nine-year-old, ten-year-old me could have seen, could have known that, I just would have, I don't know. Yes. Blow me little head off, you know. But yeah, you know, music filters in all the way through your life, doesn't it, all the time, you know. So I suppose the first wave was when, you know, as a 10-year-old, you know, like you say, in the glitter thing, you know, Gary Glitter was brilliant, you know I mean? Those records were race, you know. It's a shame what happened, obviously, you know. Bowie, you know, Mother Hoople, The Sweet, you know, these are huge records, you know. And then later, going right through, you know, the bell thing, you know, hello, you know, bands like, obviously, my, my volume was very important as well, T-Rex at the time, you know, as a child, talking about a child now, you know what I mean, really, really quite young. Yes. And then you get lost in other things for a while, don't you? Uh, wizards were important, and then later on, you know, when you started taking it seriously and, you know, losing yourself in, 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 in it, it kind of grew up, I used to like Roxy Music and Cockney Rebel and stuff, and later on, pre-punk, I suppose, when I was describing the landscape here, you know, it was very polarised, you know, at school, Certain groups of people would be into, you know, progressive rock, you know, ELP, yes, you know, all sorts of things like that. But, you know, polarizing to the other way, there's kind of a soul, soul sort of loving people as well. And that's where you went out when you, you know, when you were old enough to go anywhere else. It was youth clubs and, and the music there was predominantly like, you know, pretty slushy, string driven stuff, you know, yes. which does 
kind of have links with Tony Visconti's uh, productions as well. You know, the, 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 the beautiful violin lines and stuff that they brought to the uh, to Bowie records and to. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. Tony, Tony Visconti Sorry. and David Bowie was quite of a, but then he also worked with Mark Boland as well, which um, that's and, right, yeah, and, yeah, and exactly. a phenomenal other uh, amount of other people, which was quite interesting. So when you were, I mean, during that that kind of early period, did you? Because I had a, you know, I was I was the youngest. There was three sons, um, <laughs> children, and uh, my parents had two children, and then they had a bit of a gap, and then me. And but I was quite influenced by my older brother, who was into prog rock. And he was at that age, which was a bit older. He was born in the late 50s. So I got obsessed a bit with, you mentioned, you know, Yes, and you didn't mention Genesis, but they, those two bands went together with Barkley, James Harvest and Wishbone Ash. So did you did yeah. you have kind of, um, did you mention those as a as, as sort of, you know, no, bands? No, that was more of a, I mean, you, you try everything out and, and, and you know, yeah, you know, that's kind of, I've kind of, uh, that that wasn't my area of, in, of interest. I'm trying to be polite, I suppose. Really, here. you know what I mean. It was uh, labour. Yeah, I wasn't so so keen and all that. And and, and even like uh, you know the heavy rock angle things. You know what I mean. Even the good stuff. You know, there's Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath and stuff. Very popular when people were, when I was at school, but it just didn't appeal to me. You know what I mean? Until until later on. You know, just anyway. But this is kind of a a pre. It's like a childish version of how you appreciate music. You know what I mean? I must say that things. You know, became a hundred times more intense, and I really knew what what you know. I really got it anyway. The minute I started going to punk gigs, I was very lucky that I, to to be living in a place where, you know, that was Manchester, and and being living as a central Mancunian, you know, it was so spoiled. I mean, I've been you know ever since then, you know, forty years worth really. Everybody comes here, you know. I mean, so, so many important things have happened here, and uh, for punk, you know, what I mean, like, you know, I lived in a place called Middleton, which is just outside uh, Manchester. And he was very well uh, represented, you know what I mean? X-Ray Specs, early Ultravox with John Fox, you know, uh, Buscott's quite a few times, The Roots, you know, even like Misty and Roots, you know, all sorts of uh, people to, came to Middleton, which, which is disproportionate for the size of the place, you know what I mean? So what you got out of there is like people seeing live music for the first time and bands getting made, you know, I mean, I was in a band called Vibrant Thigh, made two records in the 70s with uh, Martin Coogan, who became, who became the... Uh, the head honcho at uh, Mox Earls. His brother Stephen Coogan, you, you know, obviously. Oh, yes. Yes. I was in a brother. So, you know, I knew the Coogans. They were a great family, a lovely family, you know. And they were very helpful to me as, as a kid because they, they, they fostered children and uh, they were able to talk to the people. I was in a kid's home, you know what I mean, for most of the time. Uh, and they were able to, like, you know, talk to them, being foster parents, uh, you know, talk me into, like, you know, I, I was able to, yeah, you can go to this gig because the Coogans, you know, are going to chaperone you. Do you know what I mean? It's just, so it's all very linked in. Well, yes, absolutely. Time, you I got mean, to remember these, these, these events are 40 years ago. <laughs> yes, but they are quite sort of formative, aren't they? I mean, you know, everyone has that kind absolutely, of... Absolutely, yeah. You know, they, they kind of have yeah. such a big shape and, and our reaction to so many things that happen later on in life kind of comes from how yeah. we've... So, we've... So, so getting back to the question you asked me, really, you know, uh, about, I mean, you, you, you kind of... Uh, hooked it onto the, you know, the, the prog thing. But, you know, there were no older influences, really, before, before I met Martin Coogan, who was uh, somebody that, that was really helpful to me, you know, a great friend. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I just love him. I love the family and how they helped me, you know. And it, you know, having been 
product of such a uh, what's a, fr- a fractured childhood. You know what I mean? I was in and out of care all the time. It's, you know, I'm not going to go into that now in the interview, but you know, my mum knew she was going to die before I was. You know, it was all a big, you know, changing schools all the time, changing foster families all the time. A bit of this, you know what I mean? Until it happened. And you know there was there wasn't any older brothers like 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 you had there. You you very you're a very lucky man, you know, to have that structure, you yes. know, to, uh, to have music because you know obviously you know well I don't know what I'm saying obviously, I've got no right to talk about anybody else's family ever, but you know like in a lot of cases you know people really look up to their older, don't they? So, so you've already got a willing pair pair of ears, you know what I mean? So you're you're already interested, aren't you? There's nobody to give that to me. It's just pure randomness. Like, I was yeah. exposed to it. Roots so so strongly. It it is kind of interesting because I I think you know on that subject you know I did sort of worship him you know because he was seven years old and he seemed so together. But interesting enough, a bit later on, well, you know, th- that, there was that, a... that's not a reason of, its, of itself, is it? That he was seven year old. You know, I mean, I mean there's something special there between the you know, yes. two people who happens. You know, some people have brothers seven years older and it didn't work at all, you know. Well, that's that's right. I mean, it doesn't, you know, because my other brother, who's five years older, you know, we didn't really have so much in common. And, you know, you know, he was just very different. But interesting enough, with my older brother, there was a period when I was getting a bit older, I suppose, in my early 20s, where he was he felt very suffocating because I think there was a dynamic in our relationship, which was very much I did what he wanted me to do. But then when when I wanted to do other things, it was kind of an interesting moment in our relationship, which didn't yeah. it didn't work yeah. very well for a, quite a long period of time. You know, like we're talking, not right. well. But it's, kind you of, know, it's, it's over the, the space of a long t- lifetime, any family relationship, isn't it? You know, what I mean, like it'll ebb and flow. You know, it'll have periods of strength and periods where you might not even see each other. I don't know. You know. Yes. Just, just well, that, happen, that, that, yeah. that that definitely also also happened, which was a bit yeah. looking I, back. I think, think one thing. You know, sorry. I'm all the time, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of you know, it's, it's strange to think about the, the very early so much. You know, what I mean, uh, you, you know, when you, when it's not under your, you give me some interesting things to think about. Now, as far as an over relative goes, with anything goes, I think my, my real influence that, that I treated, you know, and it was somebody, somebody that I'd go into my room and, and spend time with was John Peel. You know what I mean? As a kid, you know, I used to, you know, withdraw into 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 my room with the radio and just. Be educated, too young to go anywhere. You know, obsessed by music, too young to be really going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Although, although I was lucky enough to go to places really early because I was quite tall and you could get in, and it was different in those days. You know, but you know, Peel taught you so much. It wasn't just music. You know, the music that you got into sent you into, you know, you, you, I like say the, you know, Lyndon Crazy Johnson. You got, you want to know who Blair Peach was. You'd want to know, you know, you'd want to know who Darkest How was. You know, the pop group. You'd want to know all about Cambodia and the things they were singing about. You know, and uh, you know, it's, it, it just—it was just a springboard for a, you know, an inquisitive child to. to just yes, well, well, you know, that 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 was certainly something that I experienced as well as the eighties went on because it was only, I mean, you were you were a bit two years older, which kind of makes a bit of difference because punk definitely didn't. Because I was brought brought up in East Anglia, so the countryside didn't really experience. Punk yeah, you're at Norwich, all. aren't you? Yeah, I Norwich. Thought, this yeah, is yeah. true, and I did see that you once came to the Norwich Arts Centre. Um, on I the, think we, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that was quite. So you then, you know, you would have got the punk period, but then that that sort of an interest in the next stage. You had the post punk. Well, I kind of straddled the punk era, you know. What I mean, but uh, uh, when it was really breaking dead early doors, you know, what I mean, like nineteen seventy six, I was I was only fourteen, you know, what I mean, but like by the time I was fifteen and a half, there was this kind of strange arrangement that that, that I ended up living with. Uh, they used to do it for 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 girls of fifteen that had babies, you know what I mean. So I, I was given a flat. It's a bit of a long story, but I, 
I was, I was given a flat, you know, and uh, having my bills paid for me, you know what I mean, to keep me out of trouble because I'd be leaving care uh, when I was 18 anyway. It's a long story, but basically I, was, I had the freedom and, and, and safety net, you know what I mean? And, and, and there it was. I was just there ready to take the world of music on, you know, and I loved it. Yes. Well, God, 15, though, that's quite an, an early age to be looking after yourself. Yeah, in it's, well, yeah it's a different, different, different days, you know what I mean? Different, you know, it's different yes. landscape, really. Well, absolutely. But it's interesting because then we had, you know, Thatcher got in 79. So a lot of the bands I've interviewed in the for this particular show and the the 80s scene, you know, there was that sort of we had the Falkland War, then we had all these sort of job seekers alliance, enterprise alliance schemes. And then a lot of bands, obviously, it's such a cliche, but had that sort of, uh, yeah, job, no, enterprise alliance, wasn't it? Where you had a thousand pound in the account and you could be a year doing anything. You just had to put something down, a flower ranger, writer. Yeah, that was really useful, especially useful for uh, Manchester, and Hume especially, I don't know if you know much about the uh, Manchester itself, but you know, uh, basically Hume, I was born there, uh, moved out of there for a while, but, but, but by the, the late 70s, 80s, early 80s, this huge estate was deemed, you know, it was, it was like, the, if you imagine like sort of four huge crescents uh, containing 500 flats each, you know what I mean, maybe four bedrooms, some of them were three bedrooms, and they were made for families. They were like streets in the sky to replace the terraced houses. That were, like the area that I was born in, quite near it, you know. The, 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 and but basically, it didn't work for families. So by the time the seventies and eighties were coming around, they were already doomed, you know. So you know, they, they allowed, you know, it was a bit of a rent, uh, you know, debt as a street estate to quote Miles Smith. You know, what I mean, it was kind of, you know, they, they let you have keys the same day. You could just get a flat straight away, you know. And, and students moved in, artists moved in, you know, and, and bands and musicians. Well, it's interesting. Did and you? So I just sorry I butted in there. But did you come across people like Big Flame? Because I, I did an interview with Big, Big Flame, yeah, yeah, and they lived there. And there was also a photographer called Richard Davis who's done various. <laughs> He's like my best mate. Oh, is he? Because I've just bought yeah, I've just bought two of his books on Cafe oh, right. Royal well, well, me books. Richard did, get this one, man. That's all coincidence. Uh, me and Richard did a book together last year during lockdown. Uh, three of my poems in, in, a, in like an arty kind of twenty-five copy only edition. Oh. It's called Three. I'll send you one. We'll get, I'll get your address off you. I'll send you. Yeah, well, no, Rich is a real. He's a, he's a great guy, man. So he I bought really two of his books on 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 this Cafe Royal Books thing, and and there's one called Yeah, Hume. which one? The football one. There, no, he one whom nineteen eighties to nineties, and then Tales from the well, Second. The one. Great, so you know the makeup of the flats, then, don't you? That's what yeah, I'm about, you and Tales yeah, so from the Second City, like Manchester six eighty-eight to eight. Uh, 92. Yeah, that's right. Great. So, yeah, I've been out with him recently, and uh, Kelly. Well, he, 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 he photographed upsets, you know, uh, when we did the Snub TV thing, for instance. You know what I mean? And he, 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 he was really right there at the time. You know, what I mean, such creative time the presence, You know. So just just on that on that front, because there's an amazing photograph in there of, of a couple. They've got a horse, and she's got dreadlocks, and he's kind of got this kind of beautiful yeah, jacket. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm do you know that photograph? I mean, and. Yeah, I do. Oh, God. I mean, the pictures are so evocative. I mean, I, I look at it and you think, God, I can't believe that was the 80s. But there you go. It was such a different time, wasn't it? And and obviously, well, yeah, I mean, and also there was, was there wasn't there a recording studio there? Because I think the Magic Roundabout recording. Let me tell you about it. I'll tell you all about it now. It's a kitchen you're thinking of. Yeah, and it's Jamie Nicholson was the guy. Basically, uh, our first demos of dub sets were done there. You know, uh, I mean, with dub sets, we, we, we kind of try. I, I tried to get the band off the ground at different times throughout the 80s. You know, first of all, well, it was kind of uh, when Carl Burns left to fall. So there was kind of three little lineups. But by the time we got to 1986 and the lineup that made the records and the John Peel sessions, you know, we did four, four Peel sessions. 
the first thing we did anyway, I had a bit of a plan around. I did a demo there, and, and Jamie put he, 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 he was kind of the uh, the focal point for, for for the kind of the war against the council, really. Because you know these flats were coming down, nobody cared about what was happening. To yes. them, you know what I mean? So you know, like, like it was like the, the last days of the fall of the Roman Empire or something, as far as they were concerned. But Jamie uh, knocked a few walls down, and the council tried to throw him out and seize his equipment. It was quite a, you know a flashpoint between the artistic community and the council themselves. But Jamie was he's a great guy. You know, he did live sound for us, and he came up to Germany with us. And everything. he was dead close. It's weird that you're talking about him actually. Yes. Well, that's amazing. Like, I, I, afterwards. See, that, that was at the start. Just one second, get a drink. Oh, third. Yeah, so uh, that was just before, you know, we were talking about uh, 86, 87, you know, when Jamie was doing that. But later on, he turned his flat into like a rave space, you know, after uh, Ecstasy hit and the Acid House boom came. Because, you know, Hume is dead next to where the Hacienda was. And it was kind of an, an overspill club called The Kitchen. Yes. Which is brilliant as well. Lawless, real anarchy. Because recently brilliant. I did an interview with a member of a band called The Magic Roundabout, and they said they went there once, but then the Happy Mondays turned up and chucked them out. So That's outrageous. You know, do you know the last thing I heard was uh, 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 The Magic Roundabout? Uh, that's really weird. A guy called Wayne Carey just reviewed them through a Louder Than Words magazine. Oh. I, just, I just gave, gave one a, a, a demo recorded at Clint Boone's studio years ago. That makes sense. Yes. Oh, God. Still with Gil Voice. Yeah, I'm so mad that. What coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she said that they were quite heavy. They, they said, look, we've booked this. You've got to get out. So there you go. They, there was more of them than, than members of the Magic Roundabout. So, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But then, obviously, within that, you know, because then we had the minor strike, which was kind of a heavy number. But then in 83, we had the moment the Smiths hit. And then everybody from the rest of the country, us indie kids, were like, wow, that's just amazing. We all love the Smiths. So for five years, there was this kind of a real indie scene, wasn't there? How did did that have a, much of an impact in, on your life, you know, seeing this kind of band almost, you know, become superstars? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're quite close to them, really. You know, in the early days of Dubsets with Carl Burns, we had a jam with, the, well, it was, you know, Simon Wilsoncroft, you know, Funky Simon. He joined the fall for 12 years, but he was the original drummer with Freak Party. Who consisted? Of, it was Johnny Marr, Andy Warhawk, and Simon, and they rehearsed in the same place as us at Decibel Studios in Ancoats. Uh, so that that was pre Smiths, you know what I mean? And and uh, we saw it all happen kind of in real time, if you know what I mean. At the time, I was working at Hacienda, so I was probably more into dance oriented stuff, you know what I mean? Just that, yeah, as far as what was getting blasted at me all the time. But you know, the the, the club functioned as more than just a dance oriented thing, and I saw a lot. Of, I saw the Smiths' second gig. I didn't see the first gig at the, the Ritz. I saw the second one at Manhattan Sound, and this is a tiny club, you know. And then uh, I saw a few of the early early shows. But, you know, I've always had people, uh, known people that have passed through, and a lot of people, uh, like, like my friend Andrew Berry from the Weeds, I don't know if you know about the Weeds, uh, you know, he, he was the hairdresser, and it was just a big group of mates, you know what I mean, that we, that we knew as well. It's quite strange to see them. One of the first times that our band went overground in such a huge way, he's been clapping quite a lot since, you know. We, no, we've supported the Stone Roses, that was another huge success story, you know. Yes. It, was, it was weird, but by then, we are kind of used to it happening, weren't we? Yes, you know well, I mean? absolutely. And uh, and everyone but else from time, the... You know, I was yeah, going to say, everybody the drummer, else... The, the drummer that replaced Simon in, in the Smiths, uh, you know, he didn't, just didn't like... You know, famously, he didn't like the cut of Morris's jib. <laughs> but uh, Mike Joyce, you know, he was he was in a band called The Hoax. You know that used to play with my original band, uh, Vibrant Fire, quite a lot. Right. Oh, really, really. 
promiscuous, you know. Uh, you know, but by now, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm 60 next birthday. You know, I've been making music since I was 15. You can imagine, you can't imagine that there's a, you know, there's so many tendrils, you know, so many paths that I've crossed. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And also, yeah, I mean, my God, because the Cherry Red Records brought out that compilation, didn't they? A seven CD box set of bands oh, yeah, the box set, yeah. from That's Manchester. Right. And, and again, I mean, God, you, you know, you're kind of spoiled for, for sort of bands, really, aren't you? Because there's, there's just so many. Because also there was like the Inca Baby. The Inca Babies, who were, were sort of part yeah, of Yeah, Harry's that. a great guy. Now, he's making stuff now, you know. He's got a new album out, Harry. Harry Stafford from the Inca Babies. Another, yeah. another human band, you know, but, you know, you, you, I wish you could have been there just for a minute to get a, a flavour of it, you know, because there were so many bands. It just sounds ridiculous. It's, it, sounds, it sounds like you're making it up now, you know. But we all had free rehearsal. We all had free electric. You know, we used to just, like, buy a main shoes for some miscreant. And, uh, you know, we never, you know, it was just totally disposable culture in a way. So yes. all we had to do was the music. Yeah, you know, nobody, I mean, things like noise, you know, there was no hasbos, there was no... You know, it was kind of an accepted thing, you know, I mean, in a way. I mean, you know, this is after all the families have moved out, really. This is the, the, the dying, dying days of this estate, you know. But yeah, Harry and Inkabay were pretty important. The great friends of Kathy Brooks is, you know, the bass player, Dubset's bass player. Yes. Collaborator. Since at those times, you know. Which is amazing, bands, you know. but uh, but one, one person you mentioned a bit earlier, which is kind of which is kind of something that I've got from the sort of eighties and nineties, especially, is that we had those gatekeepers, and we had John Peel with that amazing show that he had, and like you, I would listen to it religiously. Well, I used to always record it on a TDK D ninety cassette, so I could listen to it a few times because it was too, so much new music that you, did, yeah. you couldn't sort of digest it the first time. And then we had three weekly music music papers, which Americans always go, "My God, you had you know." three weeklies, not just a monthly, you know, like, I don't know, Rolling Stone or Spin. So, you know, with all that going on, yeah, it, yeah. It, it kind of helped bands get that sort of, up, you know, sort of up the sort of rung of the ladder. And also every little town and city had indie nights, didn't they? So you could easily get gigs kind of yeah, all of course, over the yeah. country and you just had to get a transit van and some petrol, which is probably a bit difficult <laughs> In this and, week. and there was a cartel, wasn't it? You know, in, in, in each major town, uh, city, there was an independent record shop. You know, there was Rust Trade, there was a Revolver, there was, you know, uh, Red Rhino in York. You know, and it, it combined to form an, an efficient uh, distribution system. So it meant that when, you know, people played the record in the week, you know, you, you knew that it, it would be in Bristol and in Leeds and in Edinburgh. Do you know what I mean? At the same time, it was like, you know, it was all very well hearing stuff that you'd never, ever hear again or, you know, never be able to get hold of. You know, because, you know, people people forget nowadays, you know, music so so universal and so easy to get hold of, you know what I mean? It's, you know, we, we, we only, you know, we could only afford to press 1,000, 500, you know I mean, these little bands up and down the country, mail order, you know, it was just a... You know, anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah no, it was it was quite it was quite exciting. Very important as well. Pardon, what was that? That's a, I was just saying, fanzines were very important. As oh well, yes. You know, to, 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 you know, some people were inspired to start bands. You know, other people were inspired to start journalistic careers. Like people like, uh, well, Dave Haslam was the first person that gave us a, a go. You know, the, he, he's very quite well known author now, and broadcaster and DJ. But you know, he he started off with his, his fanzine Debris. Uh, and then there's John Robb, another person who worked with before. He was the first person to, uh, well, he, he did he did he, he did a big uh, dub section interview in 1987 for Sounds. But you know he's still going now. He, he, he's a you know highly published and well thought of author, you know, and TV personality. And he does the loud 
Woods uh, website. Well, absolutely. No, John, John's Lothering War website, sorry, Lothering Woods event, which is like a, a two-day event of authors and music-related book people come to Manchester. Yeah. So, you know, more than just musical seeds happened. Yes, absolutely. Then. So then, how did the, the the start of the band begin? Because cause I've got sort of the the wonderful world. This is a kind of one of my theories. It's not watertight, but you know, like eight, between eighty three to eighty seven, there was a bit of a glory period, and that's kind of the Smiths, really. And then, you know, they break up. Then ecstasy comes along, and the music scene changes again. And that kind of next wave of sixteen to eighteen year olds kind of want their soundtrack. And you sort of you sort of form sort of probably. I don't know, the the mid-80s, 86? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what you're saying isn't isn't untrue in a way, but, you know, what, what you're talking about is a prominence in culture, aren't you, of things like the Smiths and Indie period and Acid House period, you know. Yes, it's simplistic. Period. It's a, it's no, a no, simplistic all, all, view. All, <laughs> of the things, all, all of the things go uh, exist, you know, at the same time as that, just less prominent as far as the, uh, you know, the focus of the... The media goes, you know what I mean? So you're talking about 1984, 1983, you know, you're talking about Smith's success, you know. The, 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 like, but you also mentioned the, the flame, you know, and, and, and you got to think of the fall and, 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 and Neubarten and all the underground stuff. Oh, my God, yeah, Bogshed. You, know. you know, we needed so, Bogshed, didn't we, and Stump and all those. Absolutely, like, Bogshed, you know. You know, classics. Yeah, exactly, all those lo-fi lo things. And, you yeah, know, you we've know, got a fuzz box and we're going to use it. Trust, you know, uh, like Harry and Incubator, we lived on the third floor. Tools, tools you can trust. That's a, a, a majestic uh, piece of work. You know, the, the, the Peel session they did, uh, but it was very high, highly uncompromising. And uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's kind of lost to the mists of, uh, of history in a lot of ways because you know, there's something. You know, I mean, you're allowed to like both things, weren't you? Like in the same way that Peel played loads of different things, you know, and reggae and African music and everything. Well, you know, all this thing was going on as well. Well, well, I suppose, because you also mentioned about John Peel being an education, I think you did, earlier. But yes, because he introduced me to people like the Bundy's Boys and the Gregory Isaacs and Augustus yeah. Pablo and then early Absolutely, rap music yeah. with Public Enemy. I remember him playing even LL Cool J and people like that. I, that I sort of went, oh, I must go and buy the, buy the single or buy the albums. And, and there was a compilation. Exactly, no, that was the start of hip-hop culture in, as, as a world. You know, look, look at the influence it's got on American society for instance you know or, or you know uk society now in its distillation as it's come through over the years you know but that's started, you know with peel and people brave enough to you know to, 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 to uh Yes. You know, to play well, he used to get a lot of letters. He used to get a lot of abuse from the National Front for playing, you know, reggae. Or, he did. Or, he did. Or, he did. Which I know was, he did. Which was quite amazing, really. Bio. So, so yes. Yeah, so, Dub Sex. When did when did the moment come when the band formed? Well, I mean, you no. Know, I tried to get it off the ground a few different times. It, it was basically when I met Cathy. And, uh, and Roger Cadman, drummer and bass player, and uh, you know what we did. I had a bit of a plan, but, uh, you know. I mentioned Dave Hasselhoff before. Now this fanzine library, uh, it, 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 it published it uh, with a flexi disc on the front, you know, with featuring two bands. Each, each issue would have a flexi disc on, and I'd noticed that people had been playing these, and then going, "Oh, we're we'll, we'll to get them in for a session," you know what I mean? So it happened for laugh. Yeah, laugh was. I think his viral carpets were before us. There was King of the Slums, you know, quite... So I got to notice this pattern here. And I knew Dave, and I liked him anyway, you know I mean? And he's a massive music lover. He was DJing at a place called the uh, Man Alive Club. And he lived, he lived in Moss Side quite near me, you know, and we kind of knew each other, his circle round him. But, you know, I had this kind of... Mind. I thought, well, if I get a good demo done, again, done at the kitchen, like you said there, in, in Charles Barry Crescent in Hume, 
so I went to Kathy, who had seen playing bass before, you know, on a flow in a band called Horse, you know, in a Hume Carnival. And, and I basically got a, I kind of sold it to the members of Dubsex. I stayed. I thought, I've got a plan here. We'll do this demo. We'll give it Dave Osmond. He'll do a selection of this. P will play it and give us a session. And that was my, you know, it was very arrogant in a way to be to be to be so so believing in myself that strongly. But that all that happened in a row, and that's what happened. That's kind of nice. Uh, Eighty six, and we did uh, two gigs that year. Once put in Meow, you know, Cass Carroll and Meow. Oh yes, God, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, the second one was supporting Pot Will Eat Itself. And then by the third gig, uh, we'd done a peel session, and we we sort of started playing outside Manchester because you know. We, we thought we'll miss out that stage of being a local band playing little places. We'll go and try, you know, and, and let the Peel session do the work for us. So we came back to Manchester, you know, after playing like only Leeds and London and stuff like that. But came back with a much higher profile, you know. I mean, it wasn't we weren't just scrabbling in the dirt, you know. Yeah, the Peel session was good. That's the thing about it; it was really good, you know. We, 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 we were totally taken by surprise in a way about how powerful and you know bristle and it's weird, man. It's like wow, it's nothing quite like it to. To, 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 you know, to kind of put the, the final peg into you, into you as a person. You know, when you hear this noise coming back through the made of rail monitors, it's like, oh God, I was right. I thought, oh, excuse me, I was there. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I was right. You know, to do this, and 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 it really bonded us together. You know, from that moment on, it was a, uh, you know, it was just a really exciting adventure for, for, for because we're very different people. You know, Kathy was a, a she's got a PhD in, in, in immunology. Whereas I'm the products of the UK care system, you know, it's like you couldn't get more di- di- you know, diametrically opposed kind of people, you know, on paper. But you know, such such is the power of music, and such is the power of music, and you know, pure, pure, pure you know, the pure, being true to yourself, and, and just and it just it binds people together, and it's a wonderful thing. And it happened to us all at the same time, and then the adventure started. You know, things that we'd always wanted to do, and uh, like make records or. You know, touring other countries, or you know, all this sort of thing happens to us all at the same time. You know, real magic moments. We're friends for life. You know, forty years later, just love these people. You know, it's like character forming. Yes, God, it is forty years, isn't it? <laughs> Blimey, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, so so that first session that was kind of the big, actually that was the beginning of eighty seven, which I still have down as my favourite year of music. But um, yeah, so you had Dale Griffith. So um, when you went in the studio, you had you did four songs, which have appeared recently on that Optic Nerve compilation, haven't they? Did you That's have right, the, yeah, yeah. Did you have them all rehearsed and ready to go and thinking, right, we've... Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so the first session especially. Uh, you know, a lot of people used uh, their appeal sessions to... Well, once you got to know how to play the rope, the game a bit, as a way of demoing stuff they'd, they'd be putting out on the next record, but we just picked the best four songs we had, you know. Uh, yeah, we had a, a set of six songs and there, there was four of them. <laughs> you know, it was that hand to mouth. That's how new a band we were, you know. When we did the beer session, we'd only done two gigs. You know, uh, sorry, three gigs that it was. But, uh, yeah, later on, we, 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 we you know, we, we did four all together as Dubsex. Did one as, uh, as dumb as well. You know, me and Kathy got another band together after, after Dubsex. That went out in, like, 2000. So the span of our John Peel career is, like, 12 years, which is really good. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, that's right. Uh, Be- but within, within, like, two years, you had two, two John Peel sh- sessions in... 87 then oh 88 and then 89 so you really you really worked that one didn't you that was very popular it was, it was him you know it was him that you know and and, and the reaction of people that, that listen to the show you know we, we were amazed at first is he's such a what's the word a, a, a valid you know what's the word 
Sorry, I'm, I'm struggling for the right word. Here, but, yes, but, but I, I, I remember John Waters, his producer, said if, if John Peel ever reaches puberty, we're in trouble. And I think I get the gist that it's kind of like he is just such an enthusiast, you know. And I did an interview Absolutely. with a guy yeah. from a band called the Piranhas last night who, who happened to be around in the 70s. And he said, you know, John Peel used to go down to Brighton to watch them. And I think, God, he had a, quite a lot of responsibility and work. And then he would spend evenings driving down to Brighton to see a band called the Piranhas. Exactly, and, yeah. Well, the stories of him uh, taking Mark Boland around everywhere in, in, in the very early seventies are legendary, aren't they? You know what I mean? Yes. Back of his, uh, and, and yeah, but but even much much later on, you know, it was post up sex. You know, we, we he came to see us in Leeds. You know, when we were playing in the band Dumb. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, it's tiny, it's tiny back back room in a pub. And everybody's just hassling him, wanting, you know, in a good way. You know what I mean? They all love him, but you know. I can't believe this guy's still doing this now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Putting himself in such, you know, he must, he, he got bitten early and he's got no choice, you know. There he was, you know, I couldn't believe it. I know. Well, it's yeah. interesting. The only time I met him was at Extreme Noise Terror Napalm Death gig in Ipswich, and um, you couldn't hear anything that night. But I kind of went, oh, look, John Peel's there. How exciting. And then, and you kind of wanted to yeah. say something, but at the same time, you thought, actually, it's a bit He loud. really championed that scene, didn't he, in, the, in, in, the, in the East Anglia? He did, the yes. Yeah, I read about that in his books and stuff. And also, it was such yeah. an unusual thing to hear, you know, a three-second, five-second song just like with this grunt. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Electro hippies, at no point, not one second or something. Yeah, <laughs> that was a classic, actually. So then as you... Yeah, we go to the John Peel Centre in Stowmarket. That's quite near you, isn't it? Yeah, I've only driven past that. I've never been there, but luckily they're doing things there. So when you got your... You were on Ugly Man Records, didn't you, to release the album or EP? Is it an album? Um, Push. Well, yeah, you call it a mini album, really, because we, 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 we I mean, it's not, we were pricing it low. It's seven tracks, you know what I mean? And, and uh, we wanted to price it, we wanted to price it at three ninety nine. It was like, you know, bigger than an EP, smaller than an album, really. And uh, yeah, ugly man, nice guy, guy, love lady was called, the owner of the label. He was a bit of a, he, you know, and history shines a light on him as being a guy who could pick things out at a distance, you know, because he, he, he. he one of his first records was, you know, Wonderful Life by Black. Yes. Used on TV adverts and stuff like that. And he also put early releases out by Elbow, who became like Stadia Philly. You know, you know, taste aside, it's not my sort of thing, really. But, uh, you know, he, he, he was a lovely guy and he believed in us like crazy. And I think we put him through the mire a bit, really, because at that time we were on the Ascendant. And I really wanted to test him how much he was into the band, you know. So it was like demanded silver lettering and a lyric sheet and I just, uh, you know, <laughs> putting through it, really. And we went to Strawberry Studio with Chris Nagel. You know, we, and, 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 but to, to his credit, he put his hand in his pocket, didn't he? And we made a great album there and it still stands up really well now, you know. And did, um, did you work with Edward Edward um, Barton? Was it Edward Barton, yeah, and Edward the Hume resident, yeah. Mm. But we, did, we did it, yeah, because they, 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 I don't even know the time of life video. It goes back before then, though, uh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll do it that way around. Uh, yeah, Edward was, was another uh, Hume resident, you know, because he, he used his you know, flat as a, like a gallery, really. You know, I mean, they, these are huge spaces we're talking about, you know, like four four big, four big bedrooms, you know, uh, a dining room and a living room. And it's one person living there. I mean, Edward had one wall of, uh, of teddy bears. It was just like a really weird, weird, weird experience going around to see him. Yes. But what, what he did with us was that he, I don't know if you know the Time of Life video. Do you know the video? It's on our website. You can find it that I way. think, is that the one which is, quite, which, which is quite a dark, dark-looking um, 
It is, yeah. We get buried up to our, up to our, you know, we get buried gradually over the course of the song. I think, yes. I, the, uh, I was, I've been watching eyes. quite yeah, a lot that, of your videos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. Well, that, that's, that's that one. And that's, that's Edward Barnes, the concept. He, he saw us as a... Uh, he, he saw us as being so determined, you know, in, in the face of, uh, like, Manchester and, and, and the swing towards trivial dance-orientated, you know what I mean? Kind of, he saw us as being emotionally more more mature and, you know, do, do you know what I mean? And, yes. and that we were getting buried by, by... So he conceived this kind of band burial service, which buried us gradually as we were playing, but, you know, we, we just kept going and kept going in like some Duracell uh, bunny robot. And that's the vibe of the, uh, of the video. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I did... It's a great thing, though. Sorry, if you know the album, Edward, not Edward. He yeah. just got really cheeky, and he, and he asked uh, loads of people to cover one of his songs each. You know, we we did, we did one. But, like, there's the Ruthless Rap Assassins and uh, these viral carpets, you know, these, like, people. So, like, oh, everybody said yes at the same time. You know, the Castle Co- Coughlin, you know, uh, yeah. Batman Mansion sing. He did brilliant to you know, on that album. King of a, King of a Small Country. It's yeah. worth finding out finding the album anyway, it's good. It's on YouTube. Yes, I know. And there was like Ted the great Ted Chippington and a guy called Gerald on there as well, wasn't there? So uh That's right. Yeah, yeah, you know it. But I did I did an interview with um Edward kind of recently and he said that because he did that single with um a, a fine day, wasn't it? With yeah, Jane. Yeah. There was a woman called Jane. They did that song, which um, just doing, done an al- a new album. Aren't yeah, and, and the guy from Cherry Red Records had got in touch saying, you know, you know, like, do you want to do another record? It was like, yeah, okay then. Um, so I, that was kind, that was kind of just happening when I spoke to him. So I thought, I don't know if you know, I'm sure it's going to be done and dusted soon because let's face it, we've had. Yeah, I saw a review. Of it. I haven't heard any. No, so I'm not, so I'm not sure what it is. It'd be very lo-fi and a cappella, I think. Yes, I'm Don't sure. Know. I'm sure he'll keep the same vibe. I, I saw think... him. I saw him actually. Yeah, in 2019, he, he played the Hume Hippodrome. My girlfriend put on a, an event uh, for Mad Pride, which is kind of mental health. Uh, you know, take take control of your own mental health, uh, people. Uh, and, he, and he played a great set. And I hadn't seen him. You know, I hadn't seen him in person for oh, 20 years plus. Me, you know what I mean? But and it, it, uh, he was brilliant. He was just brilliant. Yes. And uh, to to a whole new audience as well. You know, like. 20 year old Krusty's who's just case <laughs> he's just ace to see him and him, he came off the stage and he just like they were sitting on the floor you know so he just dispensed with it a bit like the way that Jonathan Richmond famously used to do just came out into the middle of the crowd and just did it there you know what I mean he just did it there he just blew everybody's head off brilliant and what 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 you know this is the uh, you know the stuck in your phone generation and there he was you know relating and uh, doing it dripping sweat Yes. Yeah. No, he's a real force in nature. He's a great guy. So with the, with um one of your songs, which I suppose everyone you know knows, don't they? Is it, um Swerve, which was kind of the one that yeah. that kind of um hits big Arguably time. Probably our, our best known song, I suppose. Your yeah. best. <laughs> mainly because because of the prominence of the uh, Snub TV performance that we did. People still talk to me about that. Yes. Did it come? To, can you remember the process of it coming together? Oh yeah, of course I do. Yeah, you know. Uh, it became named Swerve uh, quite late, really. It was called Turn Into a Blur. You know, if you, think, if you look at the lyrics, it's part of the lyrics. Uh, it started off about a year before we got near it, you know, uh, basically with a... with a, a just. A, I used to do a lot more rehearsing with just drummer, you know, that sometimes because we were big mates, you know. I mean, Cathy couldn't... We used to rehearse quite extensively, you know, two or three nights a, a, a week. Uh, but I was always hanging out at Roger's house anyway. So it, it was me and him that started that song off. It was just like my voice over the beat, you know. And uh, it's uh, an uplifting tale of staying to your 
beliefs and you know it will be it will be good it's a not it's a very happy uplifting song in, in my opinion edgy though you know what i mean yes absolutely well yes all your all your songs have got quite an energy and edge but uh, that's why we yeah, love them <laughs> that's all good but yes because i was just looking that it was like i don't know i suppose a lot of people have been going through their archives and um, the norwich wild club that you came to you, that, that you played i think it was kind of a summertime july and there had been people like mega city four cud kings of the slum and dub sex so you um yes by then you were touring quite a lot weren't you so. yeah yeah we were yeah uh, uh we, we did from the off really you know what i mean it didn't it didn't we didn't grow into uh growing stature very much throughout the whole that whole period you know we, we, we were like we were returning to venues quite a lot uh, you know what I mean in Norwich and we, I think we played, did we not play Norwich twice in the art, in Norwich Arts Centre you m- probably really would place next ex church isn't it with all the gravestones on the floor that's the one yes it's it's it, yeah it can... yeah we certainly played that one because I noticed that you'd done an interview with Basti you know the guy uh, oh yes I can't remember his name now but they supported us and they were good and, uh, but he's gone to a uh, to found electronics today, uh, electronic magazine, haven't they? Electronic Sound, I think it's called. I think, yeah, they've all sort of, yes. Yeah, so no, oh, sorry. No, I can't. Don't put this bit of the interview out. <laughs> That's all sorry. right. I'm, no, I'm always I'm having blank moments with people's names. I can, yeah, I'm can. i quite good with voices. But as, 80, as the decade progressed, and obviously, you know, things kind of have moments, don't they? What was kind of happening with the band, you know, in, in sort of the, the late, well, not 1980s, but you know the early 90s, because it's you know because then you you know there isn't quite so much. Well, it's really quite unique what happened to the band at that time, and, and uh, because uh, the bass player Cathy Brooks, uh, she was always a committed environmentalist. You know, she's always a really green, green. You know, one of the first people to be that I knew that that alerted me and to green green issues. But she decided to uh, put a, put a, put a money where her mouth was, and and she. Uh, Decided to cycle from Sydney to Manchester on a tandem uh, to highlight the, the plight of rainforest charities with, with, a, with a partner, Phil Corbell, who worked for Radio Manchester. The idea was that she's going to set off, it's going to take a year and a half, 15,000 miles, obviously, that's half the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's stopping off uh, at radio stations, TV stations along the way, flying over war zones and the odd sea. And uh, the, the whole idea was to, uh, raise, to, to raise awareness for uh, rainforest charities. Wow. Uh, so that obviously meant the end of Dubsex as we knew it then, there and then. So that's how, why that happened, really. Uh, what I did next after that was to join the producer of Dubsex, uh, Chris Nagel, who's obviously really famous anyway, and he's on his own right, where the engineer with Martin Hannett, all the uh, factory stuff, and loads of brilliant records anyway. You know, just look at Chris Nagel. There's too much for me to say, really. Yeah. Pages, pages of credits. But yeah, so it was Cathy's... Uh, Doing that, that brought that you know that, that, that period. I say that period because in twenty, you know, as you know, twenty thirteen, we, we reformed again for a short period. Yes, and uh, you know, released the optic nerve stuff. And we did like Kendall Calling and Number Six Festival and some other gigs, you know, in Manchester. But and I had my son on guitar, and it was a very different proposition. Well, that's my end of the first time round with Cathy's uh, cycle ride, which we're so, really proud of and happy about. Well, I'm... I'm, I'm but when, I'm, she, put, put in, but she, uh, when she came back, the first thing we did then was get back back and play music together again. And that's how, that's how Dumb came about. We ended up doing a Peel session and two albums with Dumb. Yeah. But, so but we, so did, I'm um, just curious, because I've never heard someone who's managed to bike that far. Did it go... I mean, obviously she got home, but did she manage to bike from Sydney to um, Manchester? Yeah, no, she did it, yeah, yeah. She, she totally did it, yeah. And, you know, they gave her a... The idea was she was going to film it all and you know, it was going to be like a BBC video diaries and 
I don't know if you have to sort of hear about the impact it had as, as, as such a huge, huge thing to do. You know, what I mean, whether the, the, you know whether she felt I don't know anything in detail about that. You'd have to talk to Kathy about. But yeah, she did it. She, we're all really proud. She came back to a year and a half later to a town hall reception, and you know, and, and she did the cause a lot of good. I'm sure. You know. That's amazing. That is just absolutely yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, really Life Cycle, it was called, the project. My God, and she must uh, have been so fit at the end of that. Jesus. Yeah, I'm so sick of cycling. So <laughs> it's been on one since. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, no, I admire her so much. You know, she, 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 she's a wonderful person. You know, very, so principled. You know, even when I first met her, you know, she was a PhD in immunology. She went she, in a very specialist part of the field as well, you know, and she could have, you know, in the big books and 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 gone into a you know research career, but she's always kept kept close to ground level. You know, caring about what she cares about, which is music and yeah, amazing. You know, and the earth. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to embarrass you talking like that. No, that's amazing. That's <laughs> amazing. So when when she came back and you went, well, you survived, and um, yes, <laughs> yes, she must have been so knackered. Yeah, um, it's like you know, let's go, let's get a new band now. Come so on. you, yes. So Dunn came along. Well, yeah, that, that, in between that, I joined What Noise uh, with Chris Nagel and Julian Nagel, who Julian Nagel ended up in the fall after that. One of the most interesting versions of the fall that happened with the... Uh... Anyway, but that's another story altogether. Yes. It's, uh, it's Marky's story, not mine. Yes. But uh, yeah, so two years of that, and, and then started making music with the... Uh, a young man who, who came to babysit with me uh, uh, for my children when dubsets would go in when he was 15 and he's called Phil Quay ended up uh, becoming a huge multi-platinum selling artist himself you know so we did some work together and ended up playing on his albums not not the first one Maverick Strike which won uh, like a Brit Awards and Mobile Awards you know God. but the second one I'm all over play guitar and vocals on the second album and he's you know close family friend he's, he's had his own story too you know like anybody else but you know that that, that all happened in the time when Kathy was away and uh, you know grew out of that yeah because was, was he part <laughs> so of that was he part know, of the Bristol scene wasn't he with with was his uncle Tricky well he, he's kind of a well yeah he, he, he was related to him yeah he, he's uh Tricky's mother, Maxine Quay, uh, which is the name of his album as well, Maxine Quay, was a... It's quite... It's really, really involved family tree. Philly's dad was uh, Caleb Quay, uh, also known as Caleb K, because, you know, he, he belongs to an era where, you know, if we perceived as having an African African name, you'd be forced to anglicise it to get work. You know, he's from a different era altogether, 50s, 60s, jazz, you know, in France. From his Ghanaian, he came over. He, he he worked with Josephine Baker in the end of her career. It's an amazing story. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that was Finley's dad to a Scottish mother, and uh, oh, so anyway, I'm I'm digressing like crazy here. Anyway, uh, Finley worked with him for a while, and then later on, when Finley broke really big, me and Kathy got another thing together called Nine Bar, and we went on tour with him. You know, when and he just like had four chart singles, and hadn't no one had seen him play live. You know what I mean? It's like so we we were the support tour for, for uh, support band for that tour. Yes. And in four gigs, for the first four gigs we worked out, we played to more people in four days than we did we played to in the in the entire career of us playing. You know, right back to 1986. It was like this is late 90s. You know. 
crazy. It's, it is amazing because I think I did a interview. Well, I did an interview with a guy called Mark Saunders, who was a producer, and I think he worked with Tricky on the the famous album that sort of did. You know, is it Max uh, Max Aquay? That was the album that he'd worked on. Max Aquay, Max Aquay, yeah. Yes, and he had. He said that it was. He said it was quite an experience dealing with some of the interest in yes behaviour. Sometimes it was a tricky number, but I suppose you know people. Well, it made for a good album, though, didn't it? It made for <laughs> a lot of good album. <laughs> it was just a fascinating. Yeah. It was a fascinating process, I think, in the in the um, working with such a kind of brilliant person, and um, but sometimes a bit erratic at times. But anyway, that's that's music for you, isn't it? So yes, you and Kathy though managed to sort of do. Quite a few. You yeah. Did you also work with the Calvin Party as well? No, that was her. Uh, she she uh, played bass for the Calvin Party. Yeah. After that, but we we did uh, dumb. We, we did a, a split single with them. You know, we did, you know, it's, it's, like I say, it's a bit incestuous, and you know, I mean, we all we did a split single, split single on Up Records uh, as dumb. But yeah, she she was their bass player for a while. Yes, that's the Because I've done so, an interview yeah, with John was, Donaldson. So John did, Donaldson yeah. Right, yeah. Is, is is a man who's did he meet you? yeah. So I did an interview with him. I don't know where he lives somewhere down south now, doesn't he? On a on an island somewhere in the sun. It's all very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So he done. So then after done, what happens? Yeah. So then you, it, what happens between that and you reforming Dub Sex? Uh, well, lots of different things. I, I I had a small family. You know, did a lot of things. I went into youth work for a while. And the uh, you know, child-related work, uh, became a play worker in Mossside and Hume, working for an adventure playground. Uh, did all sorts of things like that. You know, all the time, you know, messing about with music, but not really realising it to the next stage. Did uh, try to get things off the ground, you know, because you've got to give them a year or two to, to see if it's working, really. And if it's not working, that's another year later, isn't it? Yeah. And then, then I, I uh, enrolled on the uh, Salford uh, University's, uh, you know, C.P. Lee from the old Albertos. He's died, died two years ago. But he, he was the uh, uh, lecturer on a, a film and TV BA course. So, so I started that, but didn't finish that, unfortunately. And then started making music with his son and uh, other people around in Hume. And then the channel came up to, uh, you know, basically somebody wanted to put Swerve on a compilation album to help out with the uh, St Mary's Hospital. Yourselves and said yes, you know what I mean? And out of that, it was like, well, why don't we, do, you want, do you want to play? Play a benefit for the same cause? We got together just to do six songs for this benefit, and it grew out of that. We ended up, you know, rehearsing for a few years and all that, and uh, doing a bit more. You know what I mean? And then the compilation came out, and in the middle of all that, uh, a lost single came out on O Genesis Records, Tim, Tim Burgess's label. Because at the end of Dub Sex, we tried, tried to uh, work with Martin Hannah as a producer. Now I, I did his work all my life, you know what I mean, as a child and all this, but it didn't really go that well at the time. But in the, in the interest of historical completion. You know, we we, we uh, let this this single come out, and it's you know it's interesting now with some with some hindsight. You know, what I mean, I didn't like it. We, we didn't go forward. We, we worked with Martin, and yeah, we, we used Chris for Time of Life. But uh, yeah, so it's a version of Time of Life and Over and Over, which came out in 2014. Time of Life. Uh, you know, the long the long lost Hannah thing. It's amazing. Yes. But, uh, anyway, you know, I've been writing about all this in, in my book, <laughs> so you'll be able to read that. Soon. Yes. So that <laughs> is that the one? Is that the version that appears on the Optic Nerve Records compilation? Um, no, 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 no. That's the, that's the single release version. Uh, I'll send it to you. Basically, it, it, it was a you know a, a record shop day 
one-off, I don't know how many they made single, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not sure if it is. It's, it's, it's on YouTube. It's on uh, Time of Your Life, mistakenly put there that way. You'll find it if you want to. Yes. But if you... If you yeah. yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, so it's interesting, like, circularity to that. So when you got the band, you know, when you reformed in 2014, did did you find, you know, the spirit, the original spirit back there again? Yeah, I just wondered, I know it sounds a bit corny, but did it feel quite a nice, you know, did it feel like a form no, of... No, it was different. Yeah, it was different, obviously, because we're all different people altogether, you know. It was certainly, uh, you know, it was great to be... Uh, I hadn't seen, say, Chris Bridget, you know, the, the other guitarist, you know, for, for ages. And we, we lived together. And we were very close friends in that. He's uh, working with his own band now. He's singing now. Because I think he always, always wanted to be in that. Cold Water Swimmers, they're called. We've got a new album called the Holiday at the Secret Lake. Uh, and we got, we got a, a young drummer. Uh, I think he was 22 when he joined. You know, so it, it's just, the, the dynamics are really different, you know, initially, you know, which is like 25 years before, you know, we were, we were different people at different stages of our lives anyway you know what I mean it was exciting and it, it, some things can only happen once can't they you know what I mean the, the way that they happen so excitedly but yeah no they certainly, certainly we enjoyed it loads and, it, and we did hit certain heights you know when we reformed yes. and then I hit a few medical problems especially hearing problems which is caused by a life of a, of, of a battering you know in the music I've made since I was 15 so we couldn't take it any further there. Or, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm undergoing treatment now, but I don't have to go on that in an interview like this anyway. No. So that was the main reason. You know, I didn't stop because of, it, because of any other reason than that, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's a shame because, you know, the compilation came out and my problems occurred and I couldn't really go out and tour with it or anything like that. I can't, but that's the way it is yes. for now, fortunately. So was that Ian from Optic Nerve approached you and said, look, let's put out all your bits and pieces for that compilation search for the right words uh well it was me really uh, i i, I uh, noticed that he was releasing a lot of different artists from the, the same era you know what i mean that we crossed paths with ourselves either you know played with or we knew you know you know which buildings or indie charts with you know and it's like oh, you know because because you know uh, very few re- the, the numbers are very small in dub sex you know what i mean as far as record sales go and the splinter of faith, you know, we just got, you know about the Mojo article? Mojo magazine came to, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Unknown Pleasures, it was the page. It's kind of a feature where they, 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 they dissect an album that should have done much better than, you know what I mean? Like they, yes. They, reckons. So this came out, and I thought, you know, and it really, really, really made a few thousand of them initially, you know, and, and, and here it was getting written about in a big magazine. And I thought, you know, it'd be good if that got released, really. So I, got, I contacted Optic Nerve myself, I think, and, uh, you know, sort of about releasing on uh, the uh, Splintered Faith, you know, the album that, 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 we, uh, that, that, that was written about. And uh, from that came the fact that Splintered Faith didn't have the last single on it, Time of Life, Camina, you know. And we, we, we stuck a, a few peel sessions on that, you know, Snapper had never been released, North by Northeast had never been on a, on a new record before. So, you know, it, it kind of grew, grew larger than the first, you know, idea I had of just releasing the album itself with the, with the original packaging. So, we, you know, we did all that. It was just good to have everything there in the right place. You know, Barber Barber was another thing that was on the Edward, not, El, uh, not Edward album, the Edward Barton one. So we stuck that on the end. And, uh, you know, there it was, you know, things that were really hard to find all in one place, you know, that easy to get. We love we, we love these compilations. I think yes, we're, yeah, so, yeah. we're so relieved that people like Ian sort of does all this hard work just for our pleasure. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, he and, does. he's, and he really searches, doesn't he? He's finding things that you know should have come out, didn't come out, and 
you know, yeah, but you know, labor of love, like like yourself, you do so much, don't you? You look at the the body of work as far as how many interviews you've done, there's all sorts of different people, yes, I from know. all sorts of different eras. It's amazing, yes, it's like what kind of company I'll be keeping. <laughs> I right. know. Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's always curious, you know. It's it's fascinating to to hear, and also I suppose that it's not just that decade, but obviously the eighties. You know, it has has become quite interesting because it was very tribal, and I, and as I sort of mentioned very early about this kind of very simplistic idea of that indie world, that sort of um, indie period with the Smiths. But then when I've been doing this, then then it's all these other world of you know goth, and there's been this new psych, new Paisley scene, and there was the sort of new romantic scene and there was obviously grunge that came along and acid house so you know there is much more to the 80s than just my little kind of you know like rather simplistic yeah, kind your of... synopsis yeah no but you know you, it's, it's hard you know it's, it's a massive world it's a massive world of music you know we've got to give ourselves some kind of a map haven't we to get through it so that's why people do you know put things into genres you know but it's nothing's ever as simple as that you know I'll, very few people come out and want. I want to be that genre. You know what I mean? They just do what they do, and somebody else puts it into a, into a, into some kind of box. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's not even a bad thing. You know, it can help you. It's a shortcut to find what you want to do. Well, you know, if you like the work of, oh, I don't know, you know what I mean, Lee Perry or something. You know what I mean? You, you, you can be drawn to other things that are similar. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know. Having a, a, a catch to, to well, it's nice to have a bit of a structure, and then you kind of can. Can't add... trust it though. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not as simple as that. You know. Absolutely. You know, but but then you know, music is made up by people. You know what I mean? And people like you know rarely listen to one thing or, or are influenced by one thing only. No, absolutely. But then I saw this quote the other day, or read this quote, which was, it was Julian Cope who said, look, at the moment I'll be in a hands beam, but if I get through this, I'll be a legend. Do you, do you say <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which I, I thought, did you, did you sort of feel sometimes like, you know, now, you know, with the passing of time, people are sort of looking back and, you know, thankfully Optic Nerve, Cherry Red Records are putting out articles or, no, putting out compilations, people are writing about it. And luckily, in the last five years, there have been so many books that people have been writing, you know, like the guy from The Very Things, The Shend, who's done his book. And um, there's been just a lot... And and then there's been you know films on people like the wedding present doing that album George Best and the Chills and the Triffids and the Go Betweens and the Slits have all had films and documentaries. So do you sort of feel that there's because I've also this is my other theory that somewhere between twenty five to thirty years a passing of time happens and then suddenly we start to sort of look at things not just with rose tinted sunglasses but like analyze and stuff a bit more thinking actually that was well, yeah because it's it's possible now in a way that wasn't. Uh possible before you know the, the technology itself you know people, people can make films now can't they you, you know it was such a big deal to have such you know uh, to document uh, a band's life or something in the same way do you know what i mean you know you, you know, do you know what i mean like, like he's like, like, like the shen doing his stuff there you know he was a real minority figure do you know what i mean and it wouldn't have been that important to people you know what i mean it wouldn't have got the legs to move yes but, absolutely but, so he's you know, you know he's uh, he brought his book out and he i think a few people went right that's it i'm in lockdown i'm going to write my book i'll be meaning to do absolutely, this but that's just what i did you know, <laughs> I finished it now two years later yeah finished volume one 
Yeah, and, and 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 I sort of just noticed that, you know, I think people are having that idea, look, I, I should document this, and, and you know, a few hundred people or even, a, you know, more might be interested. Yeah, it do it for yourself, don't you? It yeah, but did you see that film that Stuart Lee was put put together for Robert the Lloyd? Nightingales. The Nightingale. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was really, really lovingly done, wasn't it? It was very lovely. You know, and again, yeah, the, it was great. the Nightingales yeah, were, were sort of... I like anyway, you know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So then, so your last couple of years, obviously with the last lockdown. Last gig we did was with the Nightingales. Actually, we did a, a gig with the Membranes, the Nightingales, Bricks, and the Extricated, and uh, the Blinders at the, the Ritz in Manchester about three years ago. Before my hearing problems started, and that was the last gig. But they were great anyway. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So Sorry, on on the book it. on the book front, then, when are you hoping that um, it might be coming out? Well, I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, jinx it by, uh, by, by by saying too many details, but I've got somebody interested in putting it out. Uh, Going to start looking at editing it, you know, in, in, in the new year, and hopefully for a... Uh, well, I don't know really how, how long the process will take. All I know is that volume one up to about 1990 is finished, as far as I'm concerned. But it's a job of going back into it now from, from scratch and uh, sorting it out a bit. So it'll be a while longer, but, you know, when it does come, it'll be... a uh, It'll be, it'll be right, you know. Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. I'm so pleased. We love, to be honest, I love these sort of things. <laughs> and I really enjoyed the process. You know, I mean, it's been very cathartic for myself as well. You know, it's been a really good thing to do. Kept me out of trouble during the lockdown. And, uh, you know, there's certain uh, things that, you know, make more sense with uh, a bit of hindsight, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, it was such a crazy time. The, 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 the uh, you know, getting the band together and things happening to you so, so fast. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's never spread out. It's like, Nothing's happening, and all of a sudden it's everything happening, everything happening. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, new experiences coming thick and fast. You know, you don't you, you don't realise how how important they are till you, till you're you've got some kind of uh, maturity of thought, like I would say I have now. Yes, so absolutely. it's been good anyway. Absolutely, and just kind of lastly, I mean, it's always a bit you know, it's a bit of a naff question. <laughs> I really sold that one, didn't I? But um, you know, if you if there was something you could have said to your sixteen or eighteen year old self, kind of starting out, is there anything that you would have thought? Oh look, is it... <laughs> is it, uh, let's see. Yes, I just wondered if there was something you'd have kind of just whispered in their ear and said, "Look, even if you ignore this, I would still." It's pretty vague. It's pretty all-encompassing, but let's just say, don't be dick, Mark. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> but any more specific than that, I won't. I won't go into. But yeah, avoid the avoidable. Didn't do much else wrong, really. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll leave it there. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Mark from Dubsex for giving me the time for that interview. It's been great, and. um it's been it's been on the cards for absolutely years, so so pleased. Anyway, this has been the C eighty six show. I'm David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C eighty six show. I know I sound quite jolly there, and um, yes, uh, I don't know. Make it positive and groovy. Otherwise, you know, why did you bother? And also, all these interviews have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. So check it out. If there's any band from the eighties. They might be there. If they're not, I've failed miserably. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.